You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Good afternoon to you. Welcome to The Call. Wonderful to be here with you while we talk about 10 stocks, all picked by you, two expert guests. Over the course of an hour, it's Wednesday, the 13th of July. Now I have Henry Jennings from Marcus Today, Andrew Whiteland from DP Wealth Advisory here with me today. Well, at least in spirit, remotely, of course. Guys, nice to see you this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, look, it is, uh, well, we're in that period where we're waiting for earnings. Henry, how are you uh, positioned for the season to come? Um, well, I've got to say, Nadine, it's a bit like waiting for Godot at the moment. Not only are we waiting for earnings, we've got U.S. earnings coming, but we've got CPI number tonight as well from the U.S., which is going to be, I guess, one of the big pivotal moments to see whether this inflation is soaring or is entrenched, or at least it's coming off the boil, given what the White House said last night about uh, uh, highly elevated levels of inflation, it seems that we should be expecting not a particularly nice number. So um, there's a lot of sitting on hands at the moment. You can see that by the volumes in the market. It's also been a bit of a buyer strike and it's school holidays and people are just sitting back at the moment and waiting to see, I guess, how things work themselves out. But uh, there's certainly no rush to buy anything. I don't think we're going to get one of those V-shaped moments where the world turns on a on a, on a sixpence, but um, it's going to be a bit of a long grind, I think, around these levels for months to come, unfortunately. A sixpence. Interesting choice of words there. Andrew, up um, in Queensland, we've had the RBNZ delivering its third consecutive half percentage point hike today. This is the world we're living in. What do investors need to be doing to protect their portfolios right now? Uh, thanks for the easy first question, Nadine. I do appreciate that. Uh, look, it's it, it's from my point of view, it's pretty much what Henry is saying that uh, it really is de defence at the moment, and in particular that US CPI number tonight uh, is it going to be sort of the uh, the first turn, so to speak, where things are going to get better? You'd probably think not, and certainly from my point of view, my client's point of view, we're sitting on lots of cash and patiently waiting. Perversely, I am waiting for that cathartic oh bother moment you know we get a couple of months worth of uh, bad inflation data the fed goes a bit nuts and starts uh, really ramping up rates we get uh, a greater than a 50 percent recession built into those models and we see uh, us indices falling another 10 percent 15 percent then we're absolutely getting stuck into it but right now today uh, christopher ash is your friend. Got it. Thank you. Over the next <laughs> half hour, we'll talk about Resimac. We'll talk about 92 Energy, Pinnacle, Rhythm Biosciences, and the Vanguard Australian Shares Index ETF, VAS. But for a bit of fun on this Wednesday, I've asked our guests, Henry and Andrew, to bring their stock of origin to the field. <laughs> Let's see if we can convert these tries into some buys. Henry, I'll start with you for New South Wales. Uh, well, I couldn't think of anything more New South Wales, Nadine, 
than the Bank of New South Wales, or the Wales, as it was first called, back in 1817 when it was founded, and which, of course, became Westpac back in 1982 when it took over the Commonwealth Bank. Um, so, um, not the CBA, that is. So, this one is, um, I guess, you know, we, we saw a big fall in all those banking stocks back in June when we got the first sort of uh, seismic shift from the RBA as they raised rates, and, of course, that's been followed up in July. So the damage really was done. And, and Westpac uh, hasn't really been able to grow its mortgage book. And we are, of course, underwhelmed at the moment with the house prices, as they tend to be uh, on the nose a little bit. So there's not a huge amount to get excited about in Westpac, except, of course, the yield, which is, you know, looking at around 5, 5.2% going forward, 100% franked, of course. So there is that attraction there with the yield. We are seeing, of course, interest rates edging higher, and that is all important for those net interest margins, which certainly is helping. Um, so that, that is a positive there. But on the negative side of things, of course, the costs are rising as well. IT professionals, systems, all that sort of stuff, the cost base there is rising. And Westpac did abandon its kind of its um, its cost target, its cost out target for expenses. So um, that was unusual because the other three banks tended to stick to it. So it's certainly one of the ugly ducklings, I guess, of the sector in terms of uh, the other three, NABs and CBA, the favoured ones, Westpac and ANZ, not so favoured. So it's very much a hold for me at the moment. I can't get excited about it in terms of growth with the headwinds that we've got from the housing sector and it does need to make up some uh, mileage in the mortgage market because it has struggled a little bit there but on a yield basis it doesn't look too bad and uh, after that big fall it may offer a little bit of value here and we have seen the sector bounce but um, I think that may be it for the time being so it's a hole for me. Interesting. If Andrew has come up with a buy from the state of Queensland, then I think he wins this game because that was not a ringing endorsement for the best of New South Wales. Andrew, what have you got? Well, apart from some bad hair attire, um, it's uh, Very Flight Centre. Flight Centre. So are you buying Lights. Flight Centre? No. <laughs> I think we might have established no. the rules wrong here. Okay, why is Flight Centre your pick then to no, discuss I, today no I, I seriously i think flight center probably is worth a buying um but there's lots of caveats to it lots and lots of caveats but let's just talk about the thesis so you know we've got the reopening trade uh, underway uh corporate travel uh according to flight center is now around uh, back to 76 percent of where it was pre-pandemic which i thought was pretty surprising uh we're certainly seeing uh, lots of footage of sydney and melbourne and brisbane or in fact airports all around the world uh, under a fair bit of pressure at the moment because people are returning to travel. But that's then also coming back to one of the main uh, constraints as well. Uh, we saw overnight that Heathrow said they're going to be limiting the number of departures a day. I think it was to only to 100,000. So that's certainly, whilst the, the demand might be improving, despite you know all the things that are being thrown at us, there are a number of constraints there as well. From a business point of view, Flight Centre is holding about $1.3 billion in cash. Now, part of that is to do with their debt covenants that they do need 
need to be holding high degrees of cash, but uh, they are in fact now EBITDA positive. And although forecasting off a loss for this year, they do appear to be turning the corner. So to me, it is a tentative buy. It's probably the only time I'll get away with saying that with you today, Nadine. It's probably a tentative buy, but there are certainly plenty of uh, headwinds, a bit of turbulence, one might say, with this one. <laughs> Waiting for that. All right, well, you win this one, Andrew, with your tentative buy. Flight Centre v Westpac, Flight Centre wins. Thanks so much, guys. Let's get on to the stocks that were nominated by our viewers. And the first one on the list was Resimac Group for Rafi. Just asking for a view. Uh, Henry, is Resimac a buy, hold, or a sell? Um, it's, it's, we're probably going to have more holds than the Greco-Roman wrestling today, I have to think, Nadine. Uh, this one's probably a hold. Damage has been done. The stock has fallen out of bed. Obviously, the housing market is the uh, the major driver of this one. We have got a buyback in place, and it is owned uh, quite concentrated ownership with a 61% ownership by Sommers. Uh, so that uh, does mean liquidity issues. But um, they've already bought back around two and a half million shares. But funding costs are increasing because of the raising of interest rates, and that obviously has an effect on demand as well. So I suspect that we're not going to see any sort of re-rating in this one. And again, it probably will bounce along the bottom for the time being until we see rates at least some certainty going forward in terms of rates. So I can't really get excited about this one. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's not um, not the end of the world, but it's just not great. The only good thing, again, is that once again, it does have a good yield um, around 6.1% for 2022 and falling to around 4.3, going forward. Again, 100% franked. But, um, you know, with raising rates or rising rates, uh, the yields have to be pushed a little bit higher, I guess, because the risk-free rate is going up as well. So for me, again, it's a bit of a hold, I think, this one in the financial services sector. Got it. What do you think, Andrew? Is there a reason to own a non-bank lender at this stage of the cycle? No, there isn't. Um, sorry, it's uh, and in fact the market's telling us that because that chart looks dreadful. Um, in fact, down 46%, I think, for the year. So certainly the market is trying to tell us that. But we also know that part of the game, if I can put it so eloquently, is we're trying to look sort of 12, 18 months over the horizon. We're not just sort of reacting to what's past, but also what's potentially coming at us. And what's potentially coming at us is rising interest rates, potential for more bad and doubtful debts. Uh, if you have a look at their mix, I think it's around one third, might be a little bit less, might be 30% of their loan are what they call specialist loans. So it's a nice way of saying that they're not prime loans. There, there might be some issue relating to the credit quality or that the income is hard to verify or whatever the case may be. Now, those loans can be more attractively priced. So there's more margin, but equally so, there's a greater chance that some of those specialist loans may come under pressure subject to people's individual circumstances. So from my point of view, I can think of lots of reasons not to be buying it. If you're there, as Henry's saying, you know, you've got a bit of your yields support, but it is a hold. Thank you for that. That's Resimac Raffi, and we're off and running. The next on the list is a small company called 92 Energy Exploratory, looking for uranium. 
It's uh, in the Athabasca Basin, and uh, our viewer has given us some context around where it is. He reckons it's just released some solid drilling results. And gentlemen, we know what we're hearing about, uh, you know, the likelihood of nuclear energy in some way, shape or form being used to help us transition, not just to cleaner energy, but to get off gas as we continue to, uh, you know, experience these energy shortages, particularly in Europe. Look, guys, the uranium bulls are always uranium bulls. Is there any reason to be very positive on 92 Energy, Andrew? Nadine, Nadine, Nadine. Um, look, from my point of view, it's uh, I'm the boring guy here. Henry's the excitement machine. I'm, uh, I'm I'm nearly here just for my good looks. And from my point of view, it's not really one that's sort of floating my boat. I certainly get the broad thesis, as you just so eloquently put it. And if we look at the uranium price over, say, even the last 12 months, we've gone from sort of $30 per pound. We got as high as 58 from memory, and we're sitting at the moment around $49 a pound. So if they can find uranium, and that's, you know, the big if because they're in the right area and drilling results looking positive, but, you know, that's then got to translate into production and that's a long road in itself. So I, I guess I, I bluntly look at the fact they went out and raised monies opportunistically, as it would seem, when the share price was 82 cents. I think we're now back in the 40s. And in the prospectus that they put out, I think it was around 16 pages, uh, nine pages of it was, well, sorry, that's probably not true. It was a, a lengthy document, but within that document, nine pages was talking about the risks involved in investing in 92E, including section 3.4, which was headed investment highly speculative. So I don't think they could have made it any more obvious, bright neon lights, lots of chance for things to go wrong here. If it works, it'll be great. But Andrew, the boring, no thank you. Thank you. Henry, are you going to throw some excitement on 92 Energy or a bit more shade? Um, sorry, guys, I'm not going to be that excited about this one. I mean, uranium has been touted as the great white hope in terms of solving the world's energy problem. But we've seen in Europe that uh, when we have a crisis with the Russian-Ukrainian war and uh, Russian supply, we've turned back to coal and fossil fuels and LNG, and we haven't really had the vision from Germany or France, to some extent, has got the vision because 70% of their energy does come from nuclear plants but um, you know it, this sector always promises so much and really and truly delivers so little uh, i know they've had some good hits recently but they raise money at a big price i can't see anything that's going to get this one really excited at the moment you know all commodities are under pressure we've got oil now under pressure as well can't see too many reasons if you wanted to play the uranium sector you'd have to go with the big daddy as far as australian uh, investors go which is paladin which did announce they will be restarting their African operations. But again, you know, the price has come off with uranium and they probably won't be in such a big hurry to restart it. Boss Energy is another one with Honeymoon, their project there as well in South Australia. So that's another one to look at. But really, 92 Energy, it's a tiddler. They raise money at the wrong price. That'll put a ceiling on the stock. And despite the good grades, I think it's, um, it's probably no sizzle for me, no excitement for me at the moment. In fact, I think the sector's probably a little bit under the um, under weather at the moment, so not for me. Got it. Thank you, guys. Pinnacle for Chernovaz saying, currently holding Pinnacle, like to know if I should take my losses 
and sell or hold them for a better price performance. So clearly hasn't made a matzah on Pinnacle if holding losses. What would you do if you're already holding Pinnacle, um, clearly bought at a higher price? What do you think, Henry? Well, Pinnacle, these guys invest in fund managers. Now, we know that fund managers at the moment are a little bit on the nose, to say the least. We saw some funds under management from Platinum, of course, Magellan, well-known, uh, sorry, saga there with uh, with Hamish, etc. Uh, Pinnacle did pretty well in terms of their, um, their performance fees, which were pretty good, and the market did react positively to that. But... You know, it, it's not easy being a fund manager at the moment. The market is down. People are losing interest, unfortunately, in uh, equity markets. That All that heady stuff of last year when every man and his dog was uh, signing up for new platforms at, at ridiculously low um, rates of commission, those days are probably over. These probably are the best of the bunch. They do have that resilience because they do invest across multi, uh, well, a, a huge bunch of different fund managers with multi-asset strategies. So that is a good thing. So if you are looking for a sort of a leverage play on the markets, this could certainly suit it. And it did have some pretty good results recently. So clearly their fund managers are doing okay. So it's just a bit of a leap of faith at the moment. As I said earlier, more holds than a Greco-Roman wrestling bout. And I suspect this one for me is a hold. If I owned it, I think I'd be holding it for the time being and hoping that uh, we would get some recovery in equity markets. But for the time being, it's it's again, it's going to be a bit of a struggle, I think, one until we get a, a more clarity on where we're going. But uh, certainly one of the better of the bunch. And I'd probably prefer to hold this than, say, Platinum or, um, or Magellan at this point in the cycle. Got it. Andrew, um, do we have any disagreement there? Uh, would you be taking losses? You know, it's not a bad thing to sell sometimes and get a bit of cash on the sidelines to potentially redeploy in something you can make a bit more money on. General advice only, no consideration of your personal circumstances have been made. Um, I, um, I'm i actually a buyer. I'm a buyer of Pinnacle. I think uh, Pinnacle is a buy um, for all the reasons that Henry just mentioned. Uh, bearing in mind how we started this session where we said we're sitting on cash and we're being cautious. So that's the biggest risk for Pinnacle. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we know that they're smart guys and girls because we just saw that their performance figures that came out and the fees that they earned from that are higher than the market was expecting. It's great profit margins, 67% profit margins and a 29% return on shareholders' funds. Some great businesses, Hyperion, Metrics, Plato. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a buy. So consensus is $10.13. The big risk, of course, as Henry mentions, is it's leverage to the market. The market comes off, they're going to cop it further. And we know that the average fund manager is down about 30% this calendar year relative to the market that's down 12 13%. So there's that leverage piece. But if things do start turning back around, fund managers will be making dollars. And these guys and girls are going to be right amongst it. So it's a buy. Got it. Thanks. First buy of the day. Let's get to Rhythm Biosciences. This is for Chris saying with the recent TJ submission likely to see, succeed, is there an opportunity here? So RHY for you, Andrew. So we're back to boring mode, I'm sorry. Um, it's uh, it's a hold. Uh, I like the fact that uh, Otto Batula is uh, chairing it. And we've spoken before about Otto and his track record. He's a pretty switched on guy. Um, 
But there's, and you know, when you look at the presentations of these companies, they talk about their addressable markets, and it's the second biggest cause of cancer in the world. And I mean, I'm not trying to be dismissive. These are all really important things, but it is a big leap to get from where they are to actually, you know, to the point where they're actually making money. And you know, I know there's TGA submissions and all that type of thing. Um, but yeah, it's just a bit too exciting for me. So I'm a hold. It's a hold for Rhythm Biosciences. I suppose we should mention that it, it's manufacturing or it's um, coming up with a blood test that should be able to detect, I think it's colon cancer, uh, you know, really quickly and easily. And that sounds like it has tons of promise. If it's a well-run company, if you trust management, is this a company that you could take a, a bit of a, a, a stake in there, Henry? Uh, well, Otto certainly knows this stuff. He's uh, the chairman of this one. So yes to a lot of those things. Uh, colorectal cancer is what they're aiming for with a simple low-cost blood test for these guys uh, to be able to detect it. And it is a massive problem. And as Andrew points out, you know, all the slideshows and all these biotechs always do the whole, you know, massive addressable market, 800 million people over the age of 50 years old in the world that are going to get um, some sort of uh, issue or at least to be tested. So there is huge market potential for this. Of course, they're not alone in, in trying to work out uh, a simple tests for this. They're not Robinson Crusoe by any stretch of the imagination. They are targeting first revenues by uh, calendar year or late this year. So that is a good thing. And uh, they certainly have you know, a, a nice amount of skin in the game from some of the backers of this one. I think the top 20 own around 40% of the stock. Um, but they don't have what I would consider a huge amount of cash, only about 10 million bucks, and that was in February. So um, there is potential, I guess, that they're going to need to tap shareholders again. This is you know, the modus operandi to some extent of all biotechs. Good news, good results, tap shareholders because they always need more money for new trials. But the final clinical trial, study number seven, has been closed. So this is a positive. The stock's actually up nine odd percent today, which is good. But the, one of the issues as well is the volume. It is kind of a bit thin at times. It's only 72,000 shares traded today. So um, it, it looks promising. It's on the right track. I suspect they might need more money. Otto is a pretty good operator, and he has done very well for shareholders in his companies in the past. So it's definitely a speculative buy. But after a 9% move today on, on 72,000 shares, I'd probably be happy to wait for it to sink back again on one of those bad days and uh, if you pick it up around 120 you'd probably be uh, a little happier than paying 130 for it so i guess speculative buy as a lot of these biotechs are but don't don't be surprised if you see capital raisings along the way and um, as always it relies on results so hopefully we'll get some good results but so far they have been relatively good yeah, I once spoke with a biotech analyst who came from the science background, and he said, when you invest in biotechs, keep in mind, capital raisings are what you can expect. That's a good thing yeah. because they raise money to hit a milestone. If they're raising more money, it's because they have the possibility of achieving the next milestone. So if you have that and you're cognizant of that when you get into biotechs, it shouldn't come as any surprise or any disappointment. Just to clarify something for another viewer who's written in. So when we talk about defensive, I think I heard you say that, Andrew. Are you sitting on cash right now? Yeah. Yep. How much? Yeah. Well, we'll use the, the famous Saran Super Fund, the, the benchmark of the Australian share market, uh, about 30%. Okay. 
uh, Henry, you uh, exited some positions uh, in the small yep. cap portfolio, I know, recently. So are you sitting on that cash? Uh, yes, I, um, I had a bit of a reset at the end of the financial yeah. year, a bit of an end of financial year clean out. And so I'm sitting on around 75% cash in uh, the model small cap portfolio. And I had been deploying bits and bobs. But to be honest, it, it's just um, you kind of get every time you deploy a little bit, you get smacked on the wrist. And then you kind of think, well, I'm just going too early in a lot of these things and, and they get cheaper and cheaper. So um, maybe it's um, right to be patient at the moment and uh, just wait and see what happens from this CPI. I know that's not the be all and end all and we're not going to get V-shaped uh, recovery from there, but it's just another piece of the jigsaw. I think, you know, it's a, it's a long, hot, especially in Europe at the moment, a long, hot European and a North American summer. No reason to do too much just at the moment. Got it. Thanks, guys. All right. So we are already at number five on the list. This is uh, a question for Peter about the Vanguard Australian Shares Index. Um, there's a bit of history here, but can you just bear with me? Because I think it helps to have a bit of context. He's saying he's holding it already, knowing that it's weighted towards financials and materials, given the makeup of the ASX. I suppose BHP makes up more than 10% of the index. He would like to get more concentrated exposure to the technology sector via an ETF. He's been watching a couple, um, and obviously management fees are top of mind. But he's mentioning the beta shares it's ATEC, ATEC, so Australian Tech ETF. Uh, it's got the likes of Zero Computer Share, Seek, Wise Tech, Car Sales in it. He says it's come back a long way, but I suppose he wants to know whether it would be a better idea when things eventually turn to be invested collectively in two of them rather than just getting that broad index exposure. So what could he potentially buy to hold to supplement the holding that he already has in that Vanguard Australian Share Index ETF? So looking for a bit of diversity, looking for diverse exposure, waiting for this market to turn, and I suppose knowing that tech's not going to stay in the doldrums forever. Andrew, over to you. Lots to unpack there, Nadine, but at a high level, uh, you could certainly think of worse things solely to be holding than VAS. So I think at a high level, VAS, great. Remembering that VAS owns the top 300 companies. So it actually performs a touch better than the index because you've got 201 to 300 in there. But it's like 0.1% difference. Really what um, Peter's talking about is a core and satellite strategy. So whereby VAS is the core. And then what are other things I can add in there that might add a bit of alpha, a bit of potential outperformance? Because as you just said, everyone's hating technology companies at the moment. Is there a way in which I can buy a smaller holding in something, but instead of trying to work out is zero better than technology one, better than computer share, better than wise tech, an ETF that's going to do that. So certainly ATEC, I could think of worse ones to be buying um, from that point of view. So I, I don't mind it, albeit it's about 130 odd million dollars. It's not the biggest. And as Peter says, you know, um, some days it's more liquid than others, but remembering there's a market maker behind that as well. So that's not really so much of a consideration. 
Probably the other thing, though, to think about is, is Australian technology the place to be and is it appropriately priced, even though where things are at the moment? I mean, the biggest technology in the market in the world, of course, is the US and in particular the NASDAQ. And if the NASDAQ continues to come under pressure because interest rates are rising, there could be an equally compelling story as to why not just buy ATEC, but potentially buying, say, NDQ. Uh, from beta shares as well, which sort of covers that U- US technology space. So core and satellite makes sense. ATEC is fine. Probably wouldn't be racing into it because we're still seeing rising interest rates and rising interest rates are not negative for technology companies. But maybe just have a, a broader lens. Are there other ways of getting exposure to technology? Wouldn't be the call if I didn't mention qual. Might be another way of getting that technology exposure at a better price as well. Henry, do you have anything to add? Uh, well, not. I mean, Andrew is the whisperer. Let's face it, in ETF, so don't have a lot to add. I guess you know what I would say is, if you're looking at the ATEC product, you're looking at our technology index. It's so skewed to a very small amount of stocks. You know, as to some extent the Nasdaq is as well. So you know, you're really punting on computer share to some extent. You're punting on block and a bunch of other stocks, the wise techs of this world. So you're not getting a very deep, broad technology focus. You know, if you really were bullish technology, which I think there's still a bit more downside to come in places, you know, you'd probably look at the NDQ for the NASDAQ, really, rather than Australia, to be honest. Um, You know, we are a derivative of them. So when they go, we'll go. We will follow them, and that—that that is the way of things. So, you know, unfortunately, with ETFs, it's not the panacea. Um, just because you buy an ETF doesn't mean to say you're going to get rich, because they do, funnily enough, follow the market. And if the market goes down, lo and behold, that ETF goes down. So, although VAS may be a great investment long term, short term, it's been a shocker, to be honest as has the whole Australian market. So just have to bear that in mind. But um, our tech sector, very um, concentrated, that index, very concentrated in a few stocks, the top 10 uh, really do uh, run that index. Thank you. Okay, guys, we are at the halfway mark. You're allowed to have a sip of water, do whatever you'd like to do. I'll just sum up what we've learned so far. So state of origin. New South Wales v Queensland. Uh, the best these guys could come up with were Westpac and Flight Centre. Flight Centre is a tentative buy for Andrew. Comes with caveats, and uh, you can go back and listen to those if you're interested. Westpac was Henry's pick, though, because in this environment, uh, you're perhaps looking for a bit of defensiveness and perhaps a bit of income as well. And he points that the yield is at 5.2%. It's cheap. It's been the ugly duckling. The best he could muster, though, was a hold. All right, Resimac Group, it is an avoid or a sell for Andrew. There's no need to be in a non-bank lender at this time. It is again a hold, uh, a hold for Henry. It's his theme today. Again, he says the yield is something you might want to keep an eye on. 6.1% in FY22, although that does retreat. He points out there could be liquidity issues with it, though. 92 Energy, it is an avoid for Mr. Boring Andrew. It's too specky for him. Even Henry, who likes a bit of spice in his life, said no sizzle for him, not on his radar. Pinnacle is a buy for Andrew. That's our first buy of the day. And uh, look, it's a hold for Henry. He would like to take a leap of faith on these guys. Quality business, but just can't muster 
the energy to buy it as these markets continue to retreat. Rhythm Biosciences, well, it was back to boring for Andrew. He's just not willing to take uh, risk with that one. Henry, though, says it's a specky buy. Keep in mind capital raisings, but you want to see those test results continuing, trial results continuing to come through. Look, we just heard what the guys had to say about the ETF question. I'll let you go back and listen if you missed anything Andrew said, but consider Qual in tech. And Henry says possibly get the big exposure to the big boys with NDQ as an alternative. So nothing will be going to the investment committee from this program so far. No pressure on you guys, but we had five buys on the show yesterday. So our investment committee considers all of the companies get two buys on this program. Last portfolio update came through. Henry was there and we got rid of Tyro, Qantas, Frontier Digital Ventures, Tabcorp, and Steadfast. BAPCOR was added to the portfolio. One company that is in the portfolio, but it's just so small it doesn't show up on the graphic, is Woodside. We've had a few questions about that. And we've now got a bit of cash. So cash holdings just over 10%. So we'll see what happens next time. The investment committee meets. We're down about 7% since inception on March the 1st. Please keep sending your questions to us, and that will determine what the committee looks at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Next here, though, for Ernie, we'll be talking about Macquarie. We'll also get an ETF view on the BetaShares Diversified All Growth ETF, Vulcan Energy in the clean lithium space, Link, as well as Blue Scope Steel. Guys, let's start with Macquarie, shall we? Uh, the big banks, uh, boring in your view so far. Is there more upside potential for Macquarie right now? Would you be buying, holding, or selling Macquarie, Henry? Well, I, you know Nadine and Andrew, because we, Andrew and I both worked for Macquarie. I am a bit of a fan of Macquarie, and I, I think it should be one of those companies that you do have in your portfolio. And for me, this one, at these kind of levels, is a buy. The problem, I guess, these guys have got, and it's the problem for the market generally, is that it is facing the headwinds at the moment from this uh, this malaise, I guess, in equity markets, which really does uh, feed through into Macquarie. The M&A activities drives their corporate side of things. That does seem to have dried up considerably, the IPO pipeline as well. Here in Australia, of course, we've got Baron Joey, uh, the new kid on the block, which is the, uh, they put the band back together basically from UBS, uh, has been making inroads into that M&A activity, the corporate sector. So that is troublesome uh, for Macquarie because uh, if you're number one here, uh, you can sort of uh, feed that through to the rest of the world. I still like this one, but it's not the sort of the standout maybe at the moment that it was. Leveraged again to equity markets, leveraged to activity, has got the clean green theme. It's very, very good in infrastructure, which of course is uh, is high on most government's agenda in terms of stimulus. So that is a positive coming out of the US as well. So it, it, most brokers have got a much higher price target on it, but it 
it does need good equity markets to sort of achieve greatness. And at the moment, we haven't got that. Certainly, it would be a hold. If it dropped any lower, I think I'd be buying this one. And it is a core sort of portfolio holding of ours and one of our favorite stocks. And when you look at its performance over however many years, it has done extraordinarily well. It's knocked the lights out compared to uh, even our best bank, CBA. So, And it's making some good inroads into the mortgage market. So you'd probably have a bit of a nibble here. I'd probably put, have it as an accumulate. If you've got it, you'd hold it. If you haven't got it, maybe then you'd start to accumulate. But it may go a little lower uh, because equity markets could do that as well. So, um, But at the end of the day, I think it is a core portfolio holding. What do you think, Andrew? Core portfolio holding? 100%. 100%. So talk price. I mean, is today today a plausible, uh, you know, day to buy, Macquarie? Anything is plausible in a day, you know that. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) I'd be be happy to start uh, nibbling away, uh, accumulating. Uh, Consensus is 205, and we're at about 170 at the moment. Uh, Around 56% of their business is still transactional. They've been able to get about 44% annuity style, so that sort of smooths out some of that uncertainty relating to equity markets. But the other thing, perversely, is this malaise continues, and as we continue to grow in sideways, some competition might actually start falling to the side and we've seen in previous cycles where this type of environment or if things get worse actually plays right into Macquarie's uh, wheelhouse so certainly you're not going to spend all of your Macquarie money at once you're accumulating but it is indeed a core portfolio holding I'm very relaxed buying at these levels but you know what you probably are going to get them cheaper so it's just nibble away okay got it thanks let's go on to the next ETF question this is for Scott Scott again Andrew stole my thunder, but this is not personal financial advice. It's not tailored to your own specific circumstances. So take it with uh, that in mind, information only. So he's asking about the BetaShares Diversified All Growth ETF. DHHF is the ticker code. Uh, Seeing that the ETF is popular with the FIRE community. What is the FIRE community in caps? Andrew? I think they're the guys and girls that are trying to retire early. Okay. Or financial, or financial independence. Ah, all right. Learn something new yeah. every day. Isn't life grand? Yeah. It's financial independence, retire early community, actually. Uh, Andrew, so what do you think? Uh, good way to <laughs> for Freedom 55? <laughs> uh, look, it, it's a it's a really interesting uh, one, and I know we're time constraints. So I'll try and keep it short, uh, which is difficult for me. If you have a look, their main competitor is the Vanguard product VDHG. It's around ninety percent growth, ten percent defensive, ten percent defensive being bonds. We know that bonds have just had their worst return in forty years. So what the DHHF product does is it has no defensive. It's a hundred percent growth, which why to our friends at Fire or the Fire community uh, appeals to them. Interestingly, if you look at the performance of VDHG versus DHHF, it's almost line ball, despite the fact that Vanguard actually had some more defensive posturing in there, not by much. Um, look, me personally, I'm an asset allocation guy. If I'm in ETF mode, so therefore I want to have some of that defensive stuff because bonds aren't going to be ordinary forever, and it does concern me sticking a hundred percent growth into something
something, you've really got that concentration risk, which is what you're trying to avoid when you have an asset allocation policy. So me personally, uh, look, if I'm 18 and I've got 60 years runway in front of me, sure, but for the average bear, you do need to have that diversified portfolio. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's just got to suit where you are at on your time horizon. And Henry, I saw you really shaking your head on this one. Why? Well, you're not going to retire early on this one. Invest in 8,000 shares across 60 exchanges. It, you, you, this, is, this is a nice, steady, long-term, 40-year investment. If that's your time horizon for retiring early, well, good luck. But my retirement early plan was to retire at 30 and not 75. And I think this one would do you well if you're young starting out and you want to retire at 75. But if you want to retire at 30, 35, you're going to need a little more sex and sizzle in your life, a little more excitement uh, than a boring, dull ETF spread across 8,000 shares. No matter how much they say they're high growth, you have diluted any of the winners to, uh, to kingdom come. So no, not for me. If, if you're a fire person, I'm sorry to rain on your parade and put your fire out, but this is just smoke and no fire. Got it. Thanks. Pretty, uh, pretty clear on that one. What are you saying, Andrew? I'm just saying to Henry, I don't like it when he holds it in. I think he just <laughs> yeah, needs to let it, yeah. he just needs to tell us how he feels. You know? Me too, me too. All right, Buddy. <laughs> Buddy is asking about Vulcan Energy, V-U-L. So apparently working toward clean, uh, you know, clean lithium. Uh, it's been a bit of a controversial company and it has been pulled down as we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of the sell-off happening in that space. What do you make of Vulcan and its prospects going forward? Andrew, uh, me, I'm, oh, I, I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit of a Vulcan fan, I must admit, and um, I have interviewed uh, Francis Padine, who's the CEO and the guy behind Vulcan, a number of times, and these guys are trying to put together a project in Germany on the Rhine, which is basically, it's kind of technically quite difficult, and putting it together is is having some challenges. But the good thing about this is that it is situated in Germany, where all the car plants are, where they have to have strategic materials close to those car plants. Now, the problem they've got is that they're trying to produce lithium from brine, which is a well-known uh, way of doing things, but it's a new process without the, the big evaporation lakes. And they're using geothermal power to do that. And they're going to be able to sell the geothermal uh, energy to, uh, to the grid. So that makes it clean and green, zero carbon lithium, which is a big attraction. And these guys you know, are doing a fantastic job getting that uh, going. There are some issues with uh, environmental concerns in Europe as a whole because there is a move to brand lithium as a, as a nasty thing in, uh, in the EU and put it on one of those sort of those banned lists that they shouldn't be processing or refining lithium in Europe. And that uh, is under discussion at the moment, which does put a little bit of a dampener on things. And of course, there's a lot of projects in Europe that would be affected by that, not least of which all the car companies that are hoping to get some lithium supply. These guys are signed lots of deals. Uh, they're well-funded. They've got good technology, but it's not without issues because they are putting those different technologies together to try and get that zero carbon lithium. And of course, at the moment, everything that is lithium is on the nose, despite the fact that lithium price hasn't fallen out of bed. These uh, these guys have suffered. They did get attacked as well by JCAP uh, last year 
with a short selling attack and got uh, a settlement and an apology, but it didn't really help the sentiment. So I, I have been a buyer of this one. I still hold it. Uh, I'm just looking to top up at some stage. Um, so for me, it's an accumulate at the moment, but um, it's not been an easy road, that's for sure. Andrew, would you be putting your clients into Vulcan Energy? Uh, being the boring guy, no, but the Saran Super Fund um, is certainly looking at it very closely. Uh, so in other words, you know, a bit more excitement, a bit more, uh, bit, bit of get up and go, one for the fire community perhaps. Uh, but at this stage, I'm everything that just Henry said relating to, you know, the approvals process, etc. like to see sentiment for lithium turn a little bit more, like to see that chart starting start go back up. I know we're up about 5% today. Uh, I like the story, but at this stage in an environment where everyone is risk off, there's probably no reason to be chasing this one, but a longer term i'm quite relaxed with it just not yet got it thank you that's vulcan energy next link this is for roger uh, so we we know what's been going on with link administration die in durham it's rejected offers it's come back with revised also can't recommend that offer um, link is obviously considering what to do in case there is not a takeover really coming to fruition at some point in time i don't want to get into all the details but uh, we, it comes up often, you know, whether or not it's worth buying some of these companies that are under takeover speculation or offers as an arbitrage, arbitrage trade. Uh, Andrew, is that something that let's just call Roger an average retail investor should be considering as a strategy? Broadly, yes. If we take Link out of the conversation just for a moment, absolutely. And as a retail investor, you've probably got the opportunity to be more fleet of foot than a wholesale or institutional investor. So as a broad strategy, absolutely, there are these sort of arbitrage opportunities or as soon as these offers are announced, you know, you're making a judgment call. But if we come back to link, the market, I think, is actually trying to tell us something. So we just established that the uh, the latest offer of $4.57 was rejected. We know that there's only one suitor. There was a previous suitor, and I've gone and got rid of who that was, S&C, I think it was, uh, and they actually walked away. So there's only one interested party. Share price is around $3.90, offers at $4.57, which has been rejected. So to me, the market's actually trying to tell us something, that if there was a competitive process where there was more than one suitor, the share price was at or maybe even near, uh, sorry, at or above what the offer price was. So in other words, anticipating that there would be more people looking at buying, whole different story. But where you've really just got one and they keep on saying no, 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 it's going to get to the point where D&D &D may actually go, look, you know what, it's all too hard. And even if D&D &D get over the line, then there's ACCC things to think about as well. So I can think of lots of reasons not to be in link. Uh, the market's trying to tell us that as well. So no thanks. Thank you, Henry. Um, well, takeover arbitrage is a quite a specialist niche, and it really relies on the risk reward. What the company, if the worst case happens and Diane Durham or whoever is bidding for whatever company walks off into the sunset, takes their bat and ball and goes home, what the share price will be then, and then compare it to what the upside is for the deal if it goes through. Now, a lot of these deals these days take a lot of time. 
they're very conditional. There's lots of non-binding scheme of arrangements and these sorts of things. And there usually is an opportunity at somewhere along the arbitrage line where the professional guys get spooked for whatever reason. Usually it's ACCC or a regulatory or some reason out there and they get spooked and the share price tanks. Now, obviously, with this one, Zion Durham came back from sort of $5.50 and re-bid at $4.30 and that would upset any board. And then to go, okay, you know what, we're going to pay $4.57, the board's going to go, you know what, guys, you're just mucking us around, so we won't accept that one either. There's probably a deal to be done here. It's a question of whether Dye and Durham have the patience to do it and whether they can get it through the ACCC. So it's not one that I've looked at in great detail because there are bits of um, link that complicate things. PEXA, they're holding there, and there are some buyers of bits of the business, but some of it not buyers of the whole. There are other opportunities around in the market and one that I've been looking at recently is Alliance Aviation which Qantas owns around 19% of and is bidding for in Qantas shares. Uh, that one obviously has ACCC implications as well but that's trading at a massive, massive discount to the effective price that Qantas is paying. And they're not paying cash, they're paying in Qantas shares. So in some respects, the lower Qantas goes, the more Qantas shares you're going to get. $4.75 worth of Qantas shares. So that one for me is a far better bet. This, The link one is just a little bit complicated and you can kind of understand why the board is a little bit over this because of uh, being messed around. Not quite as messed around as the Twitter board, but um, it's getting there. Yeah, got it. Thanks. Last on the list is Blue Scope Steel. This is for Jolene. Look, the brokers love this one, guys. I just was having a little look. Ordmanette's a buy. Macquarie's an outperform. Morgan Stanley, overweight city buy. UBS buy. Would you be buying, Andrew? No. No. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm not at the moment. Um, We've spent a lot of the call uh, being sort of Debbie Downer, you know, uh, fears of recession, supply chain concerns, margin pressure, rising interest rates, building costs going up, builders going bad. Uh, I can certainly think of plenty of reasons not to be there. Uh, if you have a look at consensus earnings forecast, uh, about a 46% drop in earnings next year. I mean. The only reason that you would entertain it would be around that's trading on a PE of three. It's not often that you see companies trading on a PE of three, but for all the reasons I just outlined before, uh, they've got some big CapEx expenditure coming uh, at Port Kembla. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a no. Thank you. Thank you. How about you, Henry? Blue Scope Steel for Jolene. I'm a no. Sorry, Jolene, Jolene, Jolene. I know. Um, Such a good song. Sorry, that was a bad, bad joke. Um, but no, not for me at the moment. There's a lot of headwinds, a lot of problems, obviously, with China in terms of steel production, with uh, their COVID response, which is hurting commodities across the board. The brokers may all be bullish about this one, but a lot of that research goes back to May. And to be quite honest, the world was a very different place in the, in the middle of mm -hmm. May. And maybe these guys have got some uh, serious rethinks to do. And that's part of the problem with broker research is that, um, you know, really and truly, it can be a long, long way behind their targets, yet moved around 
uh, so much depending on where the share price is and this one has been trending down for such a long time if they're also bullish on this one why isn't it going up why aren't they telling all their clients to buy it and it should be going a lot higher but it isn't because we know the headwinds recession china etc so i wouldn't be racing to buy this one at all but as you say it's got a pretty good pe of around three so at some stage it will turn but that's not uh, just yet bumping along the bottom and if you've got it, you're probably holding it. If you're really keen on it, yeah, I'd, I'd just be patient. Got it. Now, guys, uh, I've had a question come in from a viewer called Les. I will get there in just a moment. I'll just wrap up what we've learned so far. So, Les, if you're watching, I hope you stick around for another, <laughs> excuse me, couple of seconds. For Macquarie, it is an accumulate, <laughs> excuse me, for both of my guests. When it comes to the BetaShares Dividend All Growth ETF for FIRE investors, that is a no from both of my expert guests here. Henry says there's smoke, there's no fire. Vulcan Energy, it's a hold for Henry, who's a fanboy. He's been holding as it's fallen uh, really dramatically, but it's an accumulate for him. It's not a client holding for Andrew, but uh, he is interested in it. It's a watch and wait scenario for him. Link, in terms of arbitrage, great strategy. This is not the one from both of my guests, and Henry has nominated potentially Alliance Aviation, Qantas's takeover there. Blue Scope, think of the macro. It's a no for both of my guests. So Les has written in. Guys, I hope you don't mind me putting you under the uh, pump. But he's written in, and we do aim to answer all questions that come in. He says, your guests on the show often refer to free cash flow, and we do a lot these days. Could you please explain what free cash flow is and its particular significance given the uh, current high inflationary environment? Henry, can you start us off just simply? I think Andrew's probably the man for this question, to be honest. Andrew? I was hoping Henry would actually help me out on this one. No, look, I uh, I think from a, a free cash flow point of view, so if you're having a, I don't know, we'll pick on a business like Zero, and I think Zero is a probably a really good example, whereby the company itself is not profitable, but is actually generating significant free cash flow that they're actually now able to reinvest that back into the business to put on more programmers, to go out, do the marketing, to spend the $50 per user, um, to go and acquire those new users. So in other words, it's not necessarily profit per se, but it's dollars, it's receipts, it's revenue that's coming in the door that allows them to reinvest back into the business. So obviously business like BHP, well, you know, there's enormous sums of that because, you know, you pull it out of the ground for, Ten twenty dollars, and you put it on a boat, and it goes to China for ninety dollars. But that zero example I gave just before, uh, in particular with tech, it's a real big issue at the moment because if they're not even generating free cash flow, rising bond rising bond yields are a real uh, bad thing for them relating to discounted cash flow valuations. Then you're a bit wary of companies that aren't generating an, enough free cash flow. Is that sort yes. of what you're? Looking- that is, that is textbook, Andrew. That is absolute textbook. Yeah, and, and so you're looking, Henry, you know what free cash flow is. In an inflationary environment, you're looking for companies essentially with buffers, with cash in the bank yep. that they can use to cover costs and continue to grow the business. I'm not the expert, and, but that sounds about right. 
That, that does sound about right. And also, you've got you know, not only looking for co companies with free cash flow, but also that means they don't have to raise money at depressed levels. And also, you want to look for companies that don't have huge amounts of debt on the balance sheet as well, uh, because that obviously can get you into a little bit of trouble during uh, higher interest rate environments. But yes, certainly free cash flow, the ability to support yourself, your operations, and your expansion through the existing cash that's coming into the business is a massive positive when times get tough. There you go, Les. I hope that helps. And uh, yeah, we do often, uh, you know, operate on a level of presumed knowledge there. So I hope that helps you. Hey, guys, thanks for being so helpful throughout the hour. Um, look, good to see you and we'll see you soon. That's a pleasure. Go the Blues. Yeah, all right. Henry Jennings there from Marcus Today. Andrew Veitland from DP Wealth Advisory. I just don't understand sport in general, but uh, there you go. I hope everybody enjoys the show tonight. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email at the call, ausbiz.com.au, or tweet us to ausbiz, uh, at ausbiz.tv, I should say. Stay with us. The Small Caps is coming up next. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.